back to Doctors in the House. My name is Dr. Daryl Hill, and as always, it is my pleasure to be here with you on Doctors in the House. I had a very exciting show last week. We were talking about diet and exercise, but especially talking about diet. You know, it's that time of year again where we're going to be making goals for the new year to shed some pounds, to improve our health, and what more better of a time now than us to start talking about our diets because we all know what they're doing to us. If we don't make the right decisions, we're going to get that blood pressure problem, we're going to have that diabetes, we already know about the obesity issue. So um, today we're going to do it once again. We're going to look at another aspect of our nutrition. We'll be focusing in a little bit more on sugar. As you can imagine, sugar is in everything and the reality is we don't always know quite how much sugar we're being exposed to so today i'm going to take some time out to help educate you on our sugar that's somewhat hidden in our food because we don't quite know about it you know we're talking about the bread we're talking about the tomato sauce we know already about the sugary drinks and things of that nature. We know about the cakes, but the reality is there's a lot of information out there that is making it clear that chronic illness, the diabetes, the heart disease, the cancer, maybe even dementia are all related to our sugar. So, so today we'll um, focus in on that. We're going to look at one video in particular and we'll have a chance to share that with you and uh, we'll have a little bit of intermission where I can get some feedback on the video over the next 60 minutes or so. But I do want to remind you, when we talk about sugar, sugar comes in a lot of different ways to us. It can come as a drink. It can come as a fruit. It can come as a fruit juice. It can come as a cake. We already know about the pastries and how much sugar that is for us, but in many cases, um, from the age of infancy, young children, we're, we're, we're getting large amounts of sugar into our bodies, which are having catastrophic uh, effects on us. Uh, we don't talk about it much, but even our livers are being overwhelmed by, by, by sugar, and that too is leading to problems. We already know we have 30 million diabetics in this country, and another 90 million pre-diabetics, and those pre-diabetics will become, in many cases, diabetics. And all this is reversible as long as we're making changes with our diet. And of course, education is important. So at this point, I'm gonna say, let's go ahead and get queued up. And uh, we're gonna go ahead and switch over to our, our, our video. Sugar. I think that sugar is a main contributing factor. Serious new warnings from serious people. The more I learn about it, the more it scares me. Also tonight, what the sugar industry has tried to hide. Strategies that I thought the tobacco companies made up back in the 50s, actually some of those the sugar people had done even before that.
When the Breeden family goes shopping, like most Canadians, they try to buy healthy. Let's go. But like most Canadians, they don't always succeed. They're busy. Meals have to be quick. And then there's keeping the kids happy. It's either Lucky Charms or the Mini Wheats of chocolate. No, I'm one of Lucky Ones. Okay, Lucky Charms? A lot of what they eat is processed. They assume it's nutritious, but they've never paid much attention to what's in the food they buy, have no idea how much sugar is hidden in it. So I, I want you to just kind of start by telling me a little bit about some of the groceries that you got today. And um, where Registered dietitian Jacqueline Pritchard is about to help them figure it out. Have you guys ever taken a look at any of the nutrition labels or, or really paid The label on this Nesquik cereal says there are 10 grams of sugar in three quarters of a cup. But whoever eats just three quarters of a cup... But how many of those would go into your bowl to make up your bowl of cereal? For me, um, I'd say probably like eight, eight? eight or nine. Okay. Eleven. That's a lot of cereal. Five. And as Jonathan Breeden is about to find out, an awful lot of added sugar. So in your serving of cereal, of about eight of these servings, yeah. you're looking at about 20 teaspoons of sugar added yeah, of, of non-nutritional value. That's a lot. Yeah. So let's start at the beginning. What do we mean when we say sugar? Well, whether it's the white stuff that you bake with or the brown stuff that you sprinkle on your oatmeal, whether it's honey, molasses, syrup, maybe the high fructose corn syrup you've heard of, there's a lot of that in things like pop. Chemically, it's all pretty much the same thing, and we do consume a lot. On average, in this country, 26 teaspoons of sugar per person per day. That's 40 kilos a year, the equivalent of 20 bags. It's what sweetens the products and spikes the profits of some of the most powerful and familiar companies in the world. The food industry is one of the biggest manufacturers in North America, nearly a trillion dollars in sales every year. And it couldn't do it without sugar. Sugar is one of the essential basic ingredients used in 99% of the processed foods out there. Former industry executive Bruce Bradley has worked for some of North America's biggest food companies. It's something that can drive a lot of taste in the products and a lot of appeal for consumers. So it's, it's one of the basic building blocks. And make no mistake, the amount of sugar in our food is no accident. The food industry goes to great lengths to figure out what makes us crave a product, the exact combination of ingredients it calls the bliss point. You know, everybody asks, what is the bliss point? Dr. Howard Moskowitz. He's a longtime food industry consultant known as Dr. Bliss. The best way I can do it is to give you an example. Do you drink coffee with sugar or with milk? With milk. So if you add more and more milk, you like it more and more, up to a certain point where you like it the most, and then add a little bit more milk, and you say, oh, it's too milky, and my gosh, and add a lot more milk, and it's horrid. So it's Goldilocks. It's the middle, it's the best one. It's the level where you like that product the most. 
A Harvard-trained mathematician, Moskowitz uses models to test people's reactions to different versions of a product. Once he's found the bliss point, the product hits the shelves. From soda pop to spaghetti sauce, his magic makes money. Everybody wants to sell just a bit more. How do you get that immediate increase in acceptance? Those in the know realize you can add a little sugar. A little. The first thing to know is that four grams of sugar is one teaspoon. So with that in mind, let's look at some products. It's no surprise Coca-Cola has a lot of sugar. 40 grams a can, that's 10 teaspoons. But much of the sugar we eat is hidden in foods we don't necessarily think of as sweet. This oatmeal, three and three-quarter teaspoons of sugar a bowl. This vanilla-flavored yogurt, nearly five teaspoons in just half a cup. You can find sugar added to bread, soup, all kinds of condiments, hot dogs. This chicken dinner, labeled Healthy Choice, has five and a half teaspoons of sugar in every serving. Is this the result? There's no question, as our consumption of sugars has grown, so have our bodies. Canada doesn't keep good statistics, so we've used American ones. And those stats raise the troubling question, are we changing our evolutionary shape? Here's the line showing our sugar consumption for the last 50 years. Here's the number of people who've become overweight and obese. Now, look at this line. It's for cases of type 2 diabetes. And this one, diseases of the heart. Back in the 80s and 90s, we used to blame a lot of those problems on dietary fat. But then we started taking fat out of our foods. Did the incidence of disease go down? No. So that got a lot of doctors and nutritionists asking why. The answer, according to an increasingly vocal group, is sugar. Which was worse, the sugar or the fat? The sugar a thousand times over. Robert Lustig, doctor, author, medical professor, and one of the leaders of the anti-sugar campaign. The fact is, our food supply has been altered and adulterated under our very noses and in plain sight over the past 30 years. In addition to treating obese kids, Lustig is a YouTube sensation. His lecture on sugar has been seen by nearly 4 million people around the world, and he doesn't pull his punches. The fat's going down, the sugar's going up, and we're all getting sick. You use words. You use poison. You mm -hmm. use toxic. Mm -hmm. Certainly, I use those words, and I mean them. I'm, this is not hyperbole. This is the real deal. Everyone thinks that the bad effects of sugar are because sugar has empty calories. What I'm saying is, no, actually, there are lots of things that do have empty calories that are not necessarily poisons. Poisonous, he says, because of what too much sugar does in our body. So let's take a look at that. Sugar is made up of two molecules, one called glucose, here in blue, the other fructose, in red. When they separate in our gut, the glucose circulates throughout our body, feeding our muscles and our brain. But the fructose goes right to our liver, and it's in the liver where all kinds of problems begin. When you 
metabolize fructose in excess, your liver has no choice but to turn that energy into liver fat. And that liver fat then causes all of the downstream metabolic diseases. We'll tell you more about those diseases in a moment. But first, let's talk about your brain. Too much fructose, says Lustig, shuts down the part of your brain that tells you when you're full. It doesn't get registered by the brain as you're having eaten. So if you take a kid and prep them with a soft drink and then let them loose at the fast food restaurant, does he eat less or does he eat more? Turns out he eats more. I think there's a long way to go before um, the literature is sorted out. Phyllis Tanaka speaks for the biggest food companies in Canada. She doesn't buy Dr. Lustig's theories and doesn't think consumers should either. I think it's more important that we step back and look at how do we uh, look for ways to educate and help consumers fit sugar into a healthy dietary pattern. But the industry sure doesn't make it easy. Look at this breakfast bar. There's sugar near the top of the ingredient list, but there's four more sweeteners. Would you know that chemically they're all the same? Then there's this tomato soup. Who knew it would have added sugars too? How is a consumer supposed to know that healthy old tomato soup has three and a half teaspoons of sugar in a well, cup? How did you figure it out? By the nutrition facts table. I figured that out because I've spent a lot of time recently <laughs> learning about what a gram of sugar is and how to yeah. read these labels. Do you think most well, people know how to do that? In the last couple of years, we engaged with Health Canada on a, a campaign called the Nutrition Facts Education Campaign, in large part as a commitment to help Canadians understand how to go into the grocery store and make informed choices. But surely there is a way to, to warn people who might be interested in this that a cup of this, of this soup brings you three and a half teaspoons of sugar. To what end, though? Well, if, if they have decided that as part of their healthy diet, they want to eat less sugar. Well, let me see. Then they would use this same um, uh, label. label. The only information on the label is 14 grams of sugar in half a cup. Do you know what that means? You shouldn't have to be a dietitian to figure out how much added sugar you're eating, but it helps. Jacqueline Pritchard has added up all the sugar Jonathan eats in a week. It's pretty scary. This is your week's worth of sugar intake then. So this is equal to 245 um, teaspoons of sugar. That's a lot of sugar. When we come back, what all that excess sugar might be leading to.
And there came this time for me personally when I started buying a product called Aguave. Aguave is an, uh, a sweetener, uh, supposed to be a natural sweetener. And I thought I knew a lot about it, but the truth is I didn't. Um, and, and I had some concerns about the Aguave. I was putting it in a smoothie thinking it was a healthy option, but it turns out Aguave has a lot of fructose and I quickly was able to determine that it was having some ill consequences for me and I quickly just threw it out and haven't touched it ever since. Um, so the point there is be careful. Sometimes you might think you're doing the right thing and we're still hurting ourselves, but again, we gotta get educated. So we learned a lot in that earlier part of the video. We, we, we're going to continue to um, look at some more aspects of the video. And we saw in the, in the, in the video how the, the gentleman was consuming a huge amount of sugar and didn't even know it. So these are things we're hoping to, to really avoid. The video was starting to get into how sugar has glucose and fructose and how the fructose part can lead to you eating more because your body can't sense that you're full and how the fructose can go to your liver and kind of hurt your liver too. So um, again, my name is Dr. Daryl Hill here today talking about your diet, in particular talking about sugar in your diet. I'm with Laurel Medical Associates. We are in Laurel, Maryland. Our office phone number, in case you want to contact us, 301-497-0401. We can also be reached on the web at laurelmedicine.com. We believe it's very important to be educated because the smarter you are, the healthier you can become. Many of us, we deal with chronic medical illness, blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, cholesterol problems. Many of these issues can be reversed, prevented, or at least maintained by lifestyle choices. And a huge part of the lifestyle choices we're talking about today will be your diet. And as we again move towards the new year, now is the perfect time to start with these types of changes in your life. The more smarter we become, the better we can do, the less medicines we can will need and um, the more we can even educate friends, family, loved ones. You probably know somebody with diabetes, high blood pressure, stroke, all those horrible things, cancers. Our diets are very important. So what I'm going to do now is go ahead and get ready for us to go to a break and when we get back from the break we will go ahead and um, get back to the video. See you on the other side.
are back and I want to thank you all for watching this video and being a part of today's show. Again, we are talking about your diet and sugar in your diet and how we can help you get smarter and you stay healthier. So we're going to continue along right now with the video. So bear with me as we switch over to the video. Having discovered just how much sugar is in their food, the Breeden family is on a purge. Okay, the Kraft Zesty Italian has the one gram of sugar in this one. They're still surprised at the kinds of products that contain sugar. But they're also determined. All of it, out it goes. Of course, they still have to eat. So to help them learn about life beyond processed foods, we've made them a deal. For three weeks, we'll provide all of their meals professionally made without any added sugar. They'll stick to the diet and submit to medical tests. Lucky terms ain't so lucky anymore. They're only in their mid-twenties, but according to medical standards, both Jonathan and Anna are technically obese. Five-year-old Ruby is hovering on the edge. We started our experiment by having their blood tested and analyzed by obesity specialist Dr. Dan Flanders. The family, he says, is heading for trouble. Looking at these results, I would say that I'm very concerned. Quite frankly, if they don't make meaningful change to their lifestyle relatively soon, um, there's a higher chance that they're heading for a life of lousy quality of life and early death. Like most of us getting fatter and sicker, the Breedens might be forgiven their nutritional ignorance. But the food industry has known and discussed links between processed food and disease for decades. It was Minneapolis, 1999. Obesity was only an emerging problem back then when the heads of America's biggest food companies arrived for a rare meeting. Among them, the heads of Kraft, Nabisco, Nestle, Coca-Cola, and General Mills. These are executives who normally are fighting each other for space on the grocery store. They don't get together very often, but in 99, they got together to talk about obesity. Reporter and author Michael Moss, he described the Minneapolis meeting in his best-selling book. And they had been pulled together by a cabal of insiders within the industry who had increasingly become concerned about um, both the industry's responsibility for and, and culpability for being blamed for obesity. They gathered at the Pillsbury Company headquarters, 31st floor. The message they got was uncompromising. And it was delivered by two of their own, Michael Mudd, a top executive at Kraft, and Jim Hill, a leading nutrition researcher. In a slide presentation obtained by the Fifth Estate, the two men gave it to the bosses straight. A national epidemic. There were too many warnings, Mudd told them, before drawing a parallel designed to make them uncomfortable. Tobacco companies had recently settled a massive lawsuit in face of evidence their product caused disease. Did the food industry, he asked, want to be next? 
If anyone in the food industry ever doubted there was a slippery slope out there, I imagine they're beginning to experience a distinct sliding sensation right about now. Graphics drove home the point. Maps showing obesity rates rising and spreading across the country like a rash. What are the health implications of all this? Studies show that obese individuals are at a higher risk of developing chronic diseases, such as diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, and cancer. Topping the list of contributing factors, the ubiquity of inexpensive, good-tasting, supersized, energy-dense foods. In other words, the very foods the CEOs were in charge of selling. The two men were hoping for money to study the link between food and obesity. Instead, they got a tongue lashing, starting with Stephen Sanger, the head of General Mills. He was rather furious at Mudd for bringing this to them and blaming them for this. And his defense was, look, we already offer consumers a choice. If they want low-fat this or low-sugar that, we have those products in the grocery store. We feel we're already being responsible both to consumers from a health perspective, um, but also to Wall Street. In other words, they didn't want to know. Now, it's one thing to silence troublesome voices in their own companies. Michael Mudd eventually left the food industry out of frustration. But the people who profit from sugar have proven themselves very adept at crushing dissenting voices everywhere, including in the halls of science. In front of us, day by day, are in, uh, increasingly more and more very tempting foods. Mm -hmm. His name was John Yudkin, a British nutritionist who in 1972 wrote a book the sugar industry did not like. Pure white and deadly was the culmination of decades of research, according to his son Michael, that led Yudkin to what were then controversial conclusions. He started to wonder uh, late in the 1950s whether sugar might be a culprit in the increase in heart disease. More significant than fat, which was the prevailing opinion at the time. Certainly more significant than fat, certainly more significant than fat. But that sugar was also involved in a number of other undesirable conditions, particularly diabetes and obesity. That thesis soon put Yudkin in direct conflict with Big Sugar's biggest apologist, this man, American nutritionist Ansel Keys. Keys would later be exposed as having been funded by the industry, but not before he helped destroy John Yudkin's reputation. And as early as the 1950s, he had started producing publications suggesting that dietary fat was a problem award-winning science writer and author, Gary Tobbs. Keyes successfully managed to detain Yudkin with this smell of quackery. And from then on in, anyone else for the next 20, 30 years who did research on sugar was accused of being just like Yudkin. There was a systematic campaign to discredit or ignore his work. Because of the actions of the sugar industry in the 70s, virtually no research was funded. You know, this idea that if you study sugar, you're just like Yudkin and he was a quack. But that's remarkable. I mean, what you're saying, scientific investigation into the link between sugar and, and disease ground to a halt? It ground to a halt. 
when we return. The science is back. What happens when you take healthy students and feed them too much sugar? about you, but um, this video has been very educational. I'm learning a lot. I hope you're learning a lot. Just to add and follow up on the, um, the video, they were kind of talking about the, the food industry. We cannot forget that they play a role here, and I'm not here to bash the food industry, but they know what's going into their products, but it's more important for us to know what's going into the product too. Uh, we're going to see as we move into the video where we're looking at healthy people now and we're getting a chance to see what the effects of sugar exposure is doing to healthy people. So you can use this information to your benefit as you go back into your lives. But again, this video is mainly here for educational purposes. And I really think the more we learn about this type of information, we're going to do better as, as a people, as a community, for everybody. So again, my name is Dr. Daryl Hill. I'm with Laurel Medical Associates in Laurel, Maryland. I can be reached if needed at 301-497-0401 or on the web at laurelmedicine.com. I too am just like you, trying to make good decisions in my office all day every day pretty much I talk with patients I try to help prevent problems I try to educate and when we are dealing with issues I try to help prevent complications some of the severe complications from some of these lifestyle choices so at this point I'm enjoying this video and I'm saying let's go ahead and get back to the video
happens when you take healthy students and feed them too much sugar. Smith is teaching that real food, all the fruits and vegetables and grains of a healthy diet, can also be fast and delicious without any added sugar at all. They use specific ingredients uh, that will change up and lower the sugar and lower the processed uh, foods in your, in your diet. And that may prove a good thing because after decades of silence, there's new scientific research linking sugar to all kinds of chronic disease. Jonathan's blood work suggests he may be on the verge of getting one. Dr. Dan Flanders. His results suggest that he's pre-diabetic, that his levels have been high, and that if we don't make some changes to his lifestyle soon, uh, diabetes is coming. Today in North America, it's estimated more than 100 million people are diabetic or pre-diabetic. Dr. Robert Lustig is quite sure he knows why. So I can actually categorically say to you that sugar is the proximate cause of diabetes worldwide. And we have hard and fast data to show that. His data come from his own study done over a decade, comparing diabetes rates in 175 countries with people's diets. And we ask the question, when you adjust for all of the factors that we know are relevant, what about the food supply predicts diabetes rates worldwide? Answer, sugar, and only sugar. These studies are generally considered a very weak level of evidence. A lot of other things have happened at the same time. Toronto researcher Dr. John Siebenpiper. He argues Lustig's methodology is seriously flawed. Methodologists would tell you uh, there's uh, a lot of potential bias. And I could give you one example. Over the same time as sugar has gone up, so has bottled water. But there's no real biological plausibility in the link between bottled water and overweight and obesity. So it's not, a, I don't think, a sound uh, finding. But we have to be careful in putting too much of the biological plausibility and wanting to believe patterns that we see. His point is it's hard to know what causes disease. And ethically, you can't induce it to find out. But you can test for markers, warning signs that disease may be coming. And that's what they're doing here at the University of California at Davis. In this lab, students are the guinea pigs. The scientists are feeding them sugar to figure out if it raises the markers for heart disease. 
that drink contained 25% of her daily calories as high fructose corn syrup. Every time they've run the test, says Dr. Kimber Stanhope, the results have been the same. We saw increases in visceral adiposity. That What's means that? that's the fat within the abdominal region. This is the fat surrounding the liver and the intestines and the kidney. This is the fat that is associated with increased risk for diabetes and cardiovascular disease. The Breedens know that fat. Anna and Jonathan have already been diagnosed as having fatty livers, which puts them at risk for raised insulin and triglyceride levels. That's the fat in our blood. When Dr. Stanhope tested the blood of her college guinea pigs, healthy kids with healthy livers, she was shocked by how quickly they saw problems. We definitely, in two weeks see increases in the risk factors for cardiovascular disease in the blood. Just in two weeks? In two weeks. But those kinds of studies don't impress everyone. After surveying a number of studies, including Dr. Stanhope's, that look at sugar and heart disease, John Siebenpiper sees no reason for alarm. And what we find when we, we look at those trials very carefully is that as long as you match for calories, Fructose does not behave differently than does any other form of carbohydrate, namely starches, refined starches, and glucose. Now, that's not to say that they're benign, because I don't think we should be having a lot of refined starch or glucose, but it's not behaving any differently. Stanhope can't speak to the other studies, but she says she tested for all kinds of things, and it was only the fructose that caused the problems. If I had results as strong with regard to a food additive, a brand new food additive, and then I started producing these results, they would, that additive would get pulled pretty quickly. That's how strong these results are? I think are? they are. In the world of cancer research, Lewis Cantley is a rock star. Five years ago, the Cornell University professor was chosen to head a scientific dream team, a group of America's top cancer specialists brought together to supercharge the search for a cure. His findings may not be embraced by everyone, but in the cancer world, when Cantley talks, people listen. Let me ask then, do you believe that sugar consumption causes cancer? I think, yes, I think that uh, eating too much sugar can definitely increase the probability of cancer and also make the outcome of people who already have cancer uh, out worse. So how? Well, let's review what sugar's made of, one molecule glucose and one fructose. We know that when there's too much fructose in the liver, it sets off a chain reaction. The pancreas produces more insulin. What Cantley now believes is that excess insulin changes cancer tumors, telling them to gobble up the glucose. What we're now learning is that some of the cancers, particularly those cancers that correlate with obesity and diabetes, often have insulin receptor on the cancer cell. The tumor, by expressing the insulin receptor, tricks the glucose into going into the tumor rather than the muscle and fat. And as a consequence, the tumor can use that glucose as a fuel to grow. 
So if sugar can fuel existing tumors and make them grow, can it also cause tumors to form in the first place? The science on that isn't as clear yet, but Cantley's taking no chances. It scares me, yes. I think if definitely, for example, I don't, you know, I'll eat fruit. Fruit has sugar in it, obviously. Uh, but if I can avoid any sugar at all in any drinks that I drink or foods, I try to avoid processed foods because it's hard to find one that doesn't have sugar in it. Um, I certainly avoid sugar when I can. One of the criticisms of the anti-sugar scientists is that too much of their evidence comes from animals, not humans. That said, here at Brown University in Rhode Island, they're doing studies they think should make a lot of humans nervous. This rat is perfectly healthy. Put him in a vat of water and he finds his way to safety every time. 5.2. Now, look at this guy. What he's been eating is the equivalent of a North American diet, complete with all the fats and sugars we regularly consume. He doesn't know where to go. His brain has been damaged. These rats were totally normal, and then they turned into demented animals. They don't remember their learning after even a day. And um, as the challenge gets harder and harder, they fail more and more, just like a human with Alzheimer's disease. 36.2. In this lab, the belief now is that Alzheimer's is really diabetes of the brain, linked to insulin levels, which can be affected by too much sugar. Professor Suzanne Delamonte. Insulin resistance, we now know, can occur in any organ. It can occur in the muscles, that's what diabetes is. It can occur in the liver, that causes fatty liver disease. It can occur in the ovaries, that's polycystic ovary disease. And it can occur in the brain, and we think that's Alzheimer's. Now, it's important to remember that none of this research represents the scientific mainstream. The case against sugar has not been proven. Associations on both sides of the border for Alzheimer's, cancer, diabetes, including Health Canada and the FDA, they all know about this research, and yet none of them is warning about links between sugar and disease. But there is one important group that is raising